We are in chapter 25, which begins by saying then. See, I told you. We're in chapter 25. It says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. So we're, we're look, where we're at is we're passing through. There was no chapter break when the Holy Spirit moved Matthew's hand to write this. We're looking at a the Olivet Discourse, the Lord talking to his disciples because he had talked to them about the temple being destroyed and so forth. They thought, well, certainly that's got to be the end of everything. When shall these things be? When shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the age? So he had kind of addressed that. He had moved through those things to where he, then the angels come and gathering the elect from the four winds, the sun going out. Then you'll see the sign of the Son of Man coming. And then he's kind of moved into a series of parables. Again, para um, alongside balo to cast. So it's to cast a truth alongside of a, a circumstance or a human situation to help us understand it or have greater clarity. It's hard to build doctrine on parables. Certainly doctrine sometimes is communicated in a parable, but you want to go to Romans and to Corinthians, First and Second Timothy, when you're going to build doctrine. But there are pictures that are given to us. The Lord is speaking to you and I when he talks about the parable of the fig tree. You're going to see certain things bud forth. You need to know the summers and I when you see that. When he talks to us about the days of Noah, he says the problem there is, is knowing. It shouldn't be for you and I. He said they knew not until the flood came and took them away. The problem is, and you and I, look, look around the world we're living in. We look at the news. We look at what's happening. We, you know, we look at wickedness and sensuality being promoted at every turn on, on the television. We just can't watch a, a basketball game with getting and then have to wash your brain when you're done because of the commercials. You know, you just think our kids are up still when this stuff's going on. Or, you know, the billboards, the radio, the mobile devices are, are just worse than COVID. It's a different kind of infection and it's going to be more deadly in the long run. And you and I don't lack for knowledge. We, we know the days we're living in. We know the things the Lord said to look for. So what he says in regards to that is we should be ready. All he, all he does after he talks about the things they asked about, the signs of his coming, the end of the age, he says to you and I, we're, and tonight we're his bride wonderfully, but he says be ready. He says sometimes there's a problem people know. They don't know. They didn't know in the days of Noah. We know. He said, sometimes there's the, that problem of the householder. There was a lack of anticipation. If he knew when his house was going to be broken into, he'd have been ready. He wouldn't have let it happen. We know he's coming. You know, stewardship. You consider the, the steward, the unjust steward, and, this, and so forth, and how he said in his heart, the Lord delays his coming. And again, there's a problem of anticipation there, you know, just being ready. Now he comes to this parable of the, the ten virgins. Wonderfully to me, as, as we come here, he's comparing his coming to a wedding. You know, he, it, it tells us how he's looking at this whole thing from his side. You know, and when Paul talks about the, the way a husband should treat a wife and so forth, he says it's a picture of Christ and the church. It's a picture of Christ and the church. Not Our marriages are not always a picture. My marriage is not always a picture of Christ and the church. But the wedding, the process, the, the, the roles, the tenderness that should be there. And this evening he's going to take this. Then he's going to take the, the parable of the talents where, where he speaks then of faithfulness. If we, we believe he's coming, we should be faithful. If we believe he's coming like the wise virgins, we should have oil. We should be prepared. So he's putting that before us as we get here. Look, um, the Jewish wedding, certainly Matthew writing the Jewish gospel, 
And it's very interesting. Weddings in this day were done by arrangement. When you were little, if your dad and the dad next door loved hunting and fishing and they did it together, they said, look, let's hitch the kids up. Uh, and then while our wives sit home with the grandkids, we can go hunting and fishing. You know, uh, marriage was by arrangement. It had little to do with uh, the Hallmark Channel or Love Boat or romance. You know, it was an arrangement and it was honored and it was respected because it was a covenant. You know, you didn't know when you were little, you hoped that the guy when he grew up wasn't going to be 700 pounds and look like Frankenstein. You know, you hope, you know, I, I hope he, you know, you just, but it was an arrangement. And then if you fell in love with that person, that was just gravy on top of it. But marriage was a covenant. It was an institution. So sometimes it was arranged. You know, if, if you had come to marrying age and, and a marriage wasn't arranged and you kind of you know, were attracted to a young lady in your village, then there's a whole nother thing. It's not part of our study tonight where you would go to the, ask the father's permission. You would come. You would sit at the table. You would talk about a price you would be willing to pay for her and dowry then that would be given. There was a whole deal that would be worked out. And then a cup of wine would be put in front of the potential bride. And if she was willing to take the, 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 the wine and the bread, then she would be the bride. You know, it's beautiful symbols and all. This is a picture of an, a marriage that's been arranged. So there's three stages to this. There's the espousal. That date was set. So about a year before the wedding, the bride and groom, we call it the engagement, but it, it weighed more in this culture because if you were unfaithful to the person you were espoused to, it was considered adultery. You needed a divorce to get out of the espousal. It was binding. So there was that process of the espousal. Joseph and Mary, there was an espousal. In that year, what once that took place, it was official, the groom would go and he would build an addition on his father's house. Ladies, if you didn't like your mother-in-law, it was tough because you were going to live with her, you know. And he would build an addition on his father's house. And then the night of the, the consummation of that, the actual wedding would take place. And the bride and her bridesmaids, in this picture, we're going to look at the bridesmaids, not the bride. The bridesmaids, they had to be ready because the Jewish day began at sundown. This groom was, has waited a year. He wants to be with his, his one and only. So once the sun would go down, the groom would normally come at night. He wouldn't wait till the morning. And then they had to have oil for their lamps. And not only, you know, you had to have the lamp, which was basically like a small pitcher with a hole in the top and a spout where the wick laid and the oil was in there and it burned, it gave light. They could put it on a stick sometimes. And then you had to have a vessel and in the vessel you had extra oil in case the waiting was longer than you thought it was going to be and the oil that was in the, in the lamp ran out. But at some point, usually that night, that's why they had lamps, because they were going to be traveling. The, the bridegroom would come with his men to get his bride. And when he came, they would blow the trumpet. Oh, it's a picture of the rapture. We'll talk about that. But they, they, they would blow the trumpet, and they would cry out, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. And then the bride and her maids, they'd get all ready and make sure their lamps were ready, and, and they would go, and they'd be escorted back to the Father's house. Jesus said, in my Father's house there are many mansions. Lo, I go to prepare a place for you. If that were not true, I'd tell you, you know, but he's going to come again and receive us. It's a picture of all this. You know, the Jews would have understood. And when they got then to the house that the groom had prepared on his Father's house for his bride, they would go into that chamber, the wedding chamber, and they would consummate the marriage. They would be intimate. Outside was the feast, which lasted for seven days. Everybody knew what was going on. You know, this is, it was the tradition. It was wonderful. So 
the groom would come out occasionally to spend some time with the guests and to eat with them, but the, 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 the bride was in there the whole time. And then at the end of the seven days, the groom would bring the bride out and then present her as his wife to everyone who was there. Now, of course, it's a picture of Jesus going to his father's house to prepare a place for us. He comes again, the sound of the trumpet, the, the shout, the bridegroom's coming, and he takes his bride to himself back to the place he's prepared in his father's house. And the bride, you and I, will be hidden away, not for seven days, but for seven years. And at the end of the seven years, there's the feast he brings us out and presents us as the bride of Christ. So there's the, it's, but it's a picture, it's a parable, it's not a doctrine. You know, you, it's hard to carve it in stone, every detail, because the main emphasis as we read through this first parable is preparedness, is being ready. You know, and that would have held true to the Jew, it would have held true to the church, uh, it would have held true to anybody who professes Christ. We're going to see that. But it is a beautiful type of the rapture for you and I who anticipate that. So central message, preparedness. He says, then shall the kingdom of heaven, and he says it's like this. It's not this. It's kind of like this, like ten virgins, and your bridesmaids were all virgins in that day. Ten virgins, they took their lamps, and they went forth to meet the bridegroom. That was part of the process. Now, Five of those virgins, five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. Why didn't the bride pick more carefully who she wanted to be her bridesmaids? Let's see, I got five wise ones. Let me get five silly ones now. Five were wise, five were foolish. And they that were foolish took their lamps, but they took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So they all had lamps, all ten of them. The ones that were wise, besides their lamp, took a vessel of oil to keep the lamps burning. And it says, but while the bridegroom tarried, now that was the unusual part, that's why they needed extra oil. Normally he'd be there as soon as the sun went down. While the bridegroom tarried, It says, they all slumbered. Look at that, the wise and the foolish. You know, this is a parable about preparedness. Uh, Problem in, in, you know, the, the anticipation, seeing the fig tree, knowing things are going on. We're entering into a season. The problem in Noah's day, well, they didn't know until the flood came, took them all away. The problem... Uh, you know, with the householder, his house was broken into and it shocked him. He should have been watching, you know. Uh, the problem with the steward, he didn't realize the Lord was coming. He said, the Lord delayeth my coming. Now, in this parable, it says, even those with the oil were slumbering. The, the wise and the foolish, they all had to be awakened when the Lord came. And look, here we are, you know, if we, if we take and apply this to the church, it can be applied in different directions. And you and I say, I mean, we're studying signs in the women's study, the signs of Christ's return. We're, we're studying, you know, Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse on Wednesday night. We're studying Revelation on Sunday morning, you know. And if the Lord shows up and we're surprised, we should just go, duh, you know, you, you had us at every study, you know, getting ready, you know, telling us that you were coming. You know, you and I should be ready, right? And, and how many evangelicals, how many of us that profess we believe the Lord is coming at any moment, he's going to come and found, find us slumbering, and still we still have to be awakened, you know. Uh, we want to be awake. That's the point of this whole parable. It says... But while the bridegroom tarried, that's human perception. I'm glad he tarried till 1972. That's when I get saved. If he'd have come before that, I might have gotten saved, but I'd have had to go through the tribulation or something. So a selfish man that I am, I'm very happy that he waited till 1972. He can come whenever he wants. Now the heck with everybody else. I'm in, you know what I mean? But he's not really tarrying. This is a picture. He's going to come right on time. And at midnight, 
there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and they trimmed their lamps. They used their vessel to put the extra oil in their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. And the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. They said, As for us, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'm sure they were singing. And while they went uh, to buy, the bridegroom came. Too little, too late. And they that were ready, here's the center of what he's saying. They that were ready went in with him to the marriage. And the door was shut sounds like the ark the door was shut obviously the 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 foolish virgins are not believers that weren't filled with the holy ghost the foolish virgins are those who didn't know their lord who weren't expecting they may have had religion they didn't have relationship the, the holy you know the the oil is a wonderful picture of the holy spirit certainly you know anyone who's not born again of the spirit is not going to get in it's not enough to be religious or to be part of a religious organization, you have to, you know, you have to have the new birth. I, the, you know, we, Kathy and I raised four, two daughters, two sons, and none of them joined our family. They were born into our family. None of the four picked their parents. We kind of always felt bad about that, that they, they didn't come because they chose us. Uh, you know, so th- there's a there's a picture here that, of those that are genuinely ready. They go in with him to the marriage, and the door is shut. And it says, then afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he answered, and he said, Verily I say to you, which he can't say to any of us. I know you not. I never, ever knew you. Now, here's the point, he says, of this parable. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. The point of it all, watch this. The point of it isn't to figure out every detail of the parable. It's a, it's a parable. It's taking a picture they knew, the wedding and the wedding feast and the coming of the a bridegroom for the bride, and then lay alongside of that a truth that he wants us to embrace, and that is preparedness. He wants us to be ready. He wants us to have the, as it were, the proper fuel, you know, in our lives, and certainly of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to move with the proper motives. He wants us to have relationship. He wants us to have what needs to burn uh, and give light in our lives. And, and to be ready for his coming. That's the central issue. That's the idea of preparedness. It's what he's trying to put before us in this picture. Look, Paul tells us very much the same thing when he says, But of the times and of the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, because you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. When they shall say, Peace and safety... Then sudden destruction cometh upon them, them, they, through this you have to take note of that. When they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child. And they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. You have oil in your lamps. You are all children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others. Let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they are drunken, are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober 
putting on the breastplate of faith and of love and a helmet of the hope of salvation, for God hath not appointed us to wrath. Can I read that one more time? I wish that was written more in the Bible. For God hath not appointed us to wrath. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Because I deserve it. Christ took my place on the cross. God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by the means of by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another even as you do. So there's the doctrine. In Matthew 25 is the parable. You know, the idea is we're not as those who are going to be surprised at his coming, who sleep in the night were of those of the day. We've not been appointed to wrath. We've obtained salvation through Jesus Christ through his bloodshed on the cross. So the day should not overtake us as a, as a surprise as it overtook these foolish virgins here in this picture that he draws. Now, verse 14, he moves on and he says, the kingdom of heaven is as... 25.1, he said, it's like, he's doing the same thing here, and now he's giving us a parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling unto a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. Now, by the way, this was common in their day. They understood this. If the one who was the landowner would go and travel, or the good men of the house, he would leave the stewardship of those things to his servants. And they would take care of things until he returned. They would take care of business. They would invest. They would do all of those things. And that's the picture that he's going to give us here, which they understood well. He delivered his goods unto his servants. He gave them, as he's, we're going to see he's done that in our lives, unto one he gave. That's the only reason we have anything, isn't it? Unto one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, every man according as his several ability and straightway he took his journey. So to one person he gives five talents, yodeling, tap dancing, moonwalking, you know, hog calling and spelunking. That's not those kind of talents, okay? Let's be clear about that. The, the, the talent here is a measure of wealth, usually in silver, and a talent was 20 years' wage. It was not a small amount of money. There's no estimation on what he's trusting them with. To one man he gives five talents. That's a hundred years wage what is that i mean that's what i spent on four kids in the last 40 years you know a hundred years wage to one man five talents he gives to another two talents that's 40 years salary and then he gives to the one poor man only one talent because that's what we think now that's 20 years wage this the the wealth here is a very remarkable picture and he says he's doing that to every man according to his several ability the lord doesn't ask us to be faithful over something we're not able to be faithful over he asks us to be faithful over what we are able to be faithful over and it's different in every case look you know we have people at church that are bean counters I say that in a friendly fashion as well. They, they love numbers. They get up in the morning and they think numbers. They think numbers all day. They're happy when they're on computer looking at numbers. They go to bed thinking about numbers. That was a nightmare for me, not a dream. High school, oy vey, right? Math, algebra. What am I ever going to do with algebra in my life? Trigonometry. What am I going to do? You know, you know, it's not my gift, not my calling. But to some people. You know, personalities. We're all so different. God's made us differently, and, and we function in different ways. So there are those who have 
the ability to manage, you know, 200, 100 year salary or whatever. You know, they, they have this great ability to administrate and so forth. There are others, according to their ability, God gives them what they can do. You know, if you're a mom and you can run a household with four kids, you should be managing a Fortune 500 com- company, you know, to, to do that and to keep things rolling and to do the budget and the food and, the, you know, cleaning up and just that. But, you know, that's mocked today, of course, in our culture. And people look down on that. You're raising up the next generation. You're raising up presidents and scientists and doctors and moms and if the Lord tarries, more grandmas. You know, you're 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 taking the next generation of eternal lives into your hand. And it's demeaned in our culture today. But it's a stewardship. Some of us. One, you get 20 years wage. That's more than I want to have to handle, right? One talent was given to others. Everyone, according to man, is according to his ability. And that's God's wisdom. He understands how to do that perfectly. Because in the final analysis, when rewards come, you're not going to be rewarded because you had five talents and you turned them into ten any more than the person who had two talents and turned them into four. Both of you were as faithful. Right? There's grandmas that sit in our church that are more faithful with the grandkids they have than I am with the ministry that the Lord's called me to. And on that day when we stand before them, they're getting more crowns than I am. Right? It's a matter of faithfulness. We always look at results on the human level, on the horizontal, and think that's how God measures things. That's not how God measures things at all. You know, I think of uh, in the Old Testament when it talked about them in Joshua, they're drawing lots for the different tribes. And when you look at that, you realize these lots fell out where Jacob prophesied they would on his deathbed. God knows exactly what he's doing. And the problem with Dan and it turns idolatry is they weren't satisfied with their portion. And they traveled, you know, from from the southern part up to Dan in the north, the tribe of Dan. We're not satisfied. They wanted what somebody else has. You know, and I think of Johnny Erickson, who, who over the years become a friend, Kathy and I, and uh, what the the lot that fell out to her. I mean, I see her sit in that wheelchair with cancer, and I know this for sure. She knows Jesus way better than I do. She knows our Savior way better than I do. I watched her open a Billy Graham crusade one time, and Billy Graham was an afterthought when she was done. She said, I know you're looking at me sitting here, and you think that I'm handicapped. But she said, understand, I'm looking at you, and many of you don't know Christ. You have eyes, but you don't see. You have ears, but you don't hear. You have mouths, but you have nothing to say. And you're way more handicapped than I am. Because I know the Savior. And one day this crippled body is going to stand in front of him and jump up and down and praise him. And if you don't know the Savior, your handicap's going to do more damage to you than mine is to me because you'll be lost forever. I thought, Bill, you might as well just walk up and say, come forward right now, you know. I mean, just you look at what she's done with, with what's fallen out to her. And it says here, God gives to each, every one of us severally according to our ability. He knows what to entrust to us. And are we faithful with what he's given us, you know? It's, it's, it's about faithfulness. That's what he's talking about here. Every man according as his ability. And then he takes his journey. Then it says, he that had received five talents, a hundred years wages, he went and it says he traded with the same and he made of them five talents more. He ends up with 200 years wage. And likewise, he that had received two, he gained two more. But he that had received the one talent went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. Then, after a long time, 
Verse 5 says, remember, while the bridegroom tarried, all of them slumbered. says here, after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. Look, it's been a long, long time, hasn't it? It's 2,000 years since he, since he taught this sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. It's been a long time. But the sun's going down, isn't it? As soon as the sun goes down, the new day begins. And the Lord's going to come with the voice, the archangel, the trumpet of God, and the shout. The bridegroom's coming for the bride. And when we get to that wedding, they sing, here comes the groom, not here comes the bride. And that's fine with me. But we're at the end of the day. It's dark. And we're at the part of the day where the, the Lord's looking down at us and saying, the, the wedding is coming. The wedding's coming. He's not measuring us by our performance. He's not measuring us, you know, by our intellect. He's not going to measure us if we have theological degrees. He's measuring us, are we ready? Are we waiting for him? Are we stewards? Are we faithful? We say we believe he's coming. Do we really? Do we really? You know, if you invite people over for for Thanksgiving dinner and they get there and you're having Colonel Sanders, you know, let me run out and get some Colonel Sanders. I don't think you're, you know. No, if, if, if you know someone's coming, there's preparation. You you receive them. You There's open arms. And, you know, he's coming. Are we... You know, I'll talk to myself, you know. Do I think about, I should be thinking about this all day. I should be thinking about it. It should be involved in my actions during the day and my thoughts and what I give my life to and how I treat my wife and my kids and my grandkids and my friends and the people I labor with and y'all, you know. It it should determine how we live and how we move, you know, how we have our being. So he says here now, finally, after this long day, and this is the way it's been, hasn't it? It says, after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh. And when he does, he reckons with them there. And so he that had received the five talents came, and he brought the other five talents, saying, Lord... Thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained besides them five talents more. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful, I have servant unlined in my Bible, thou good and faithful servant, which is the word doulos, it's slave, really, He's our master instead of the things we were mastered by before we got saved. I'm so thankful. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful. There's the center. Over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of Thy Lord. Here's here's the interesting thing here. He says, you have been faithful over a few things. Hundred years of wages in heaven is a few things. We put incredible value on down here. He said, yeah, I give you a couple things, and you looked out for them, and you were faithful over. I appreciate. It. You turned a hundred years wage into two hundred years wage. Isn't it interesting? from the one who has all of the treasures, who became poor that you and I might be rich, his estimation of things. You know, you were, you were faithful over a few things. In heaven, a hundred years salary is a few things. But he says, I'm going to make you ruler instead of slave over many. Enter into the joy of thy Lord, not your joy. Enter into your Lord's joy. You know, Jesus is looking down and is saying, you're my bride. You're my children. 
my flock. You're my blood-bought ones. And when I bring you to glory, entering into my joy is going to be way better than entering into any joy you could round up. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. Imagine that. Because there are people sitting here tonight with broken hearts, broken families, broken health, broken dreams. And there's a joy that's close at hand. There's a joy that's close at hand that takes us beyond all of this. And it ain't sitting on a cloud playing a harp. (laughs) Who wants to do that forever? I'll do it for a little while, but... Enter into the joy of thy Lord. And he also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents, another, 20, another 40 years, 80 years now uh, of, of wealth. Um, and his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful, again, slave. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. Forty years of, what is that? You multiply it out. Over a few things, I will make thee not slave, but ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And the idea is you've been faithful. The guy with 40 years salary was as faithful with the guy as the guy with a 100 year salary. The, the, the God is measuring faithfulness, not what they've accrued, you know, not the increase, but the faithfulness. Then he, which had received the one talent, came and said, Lord, I knew thee. He didn't. How many relatives and friends do you have? You say, are you saved? Oh, yeah, I'm saved. What do you mean am I saved? I go every Sunday. I light some incense. I domni, domni, domni. And what do you mean am I saved? Of course I'm saved. He said, that the one that had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man. He doesn't know him at all, does he? I knew thee that thou art a hard man. Look what he says. Reaping where thou hast not sown. You're going into other people's fields and you're taking what you didn't plant. You're a thief. You know, sometimes unsaved people are like, oh, yeah, if he's a God of love, how come this is happening? If he's a God of love, you know. And there are hard questions. But that's basically saying, you know, he's going in and he's reaping where he hasn't sown. He's God. He takes what he wants, you know, so he's going to do what he wants anyway. You're reaping where you haven't sown. And then he's gathering where he hasn't strawed, where he hasn't done the threshing, where they throw the grain up in the air and the chaff blows away. He's gathering grain off the floor where he hasn't done the threshing. I know who you are. He doesn't know him at all. And I was afraid. No, I was afraid before I was saved. You know, it's really sad to me now. Sometimes Christians will come up and talk to me after church, and they're afraid. I don't know if I'm a believer. And I'm thinking, that's a contradiction. So I'll say, are you afraid of King Kong? And they say, they think for a minute. No, why not? Because he ain't real. Are you afraid of Godzilla? No. Why? Because he ain't real. Why are you afraid of God if you don't believe? And they stand there, duh, for a while, you know. Uh, now you're going to be afraid to come up and ask me, you know. <laughs> you, know. <laughs> you know, but, you know, and God, as we grow, wants to take that. He, he doesn't want us to live in fear of him. Look, Psalm 19 says the fear of the Lord is clean. There is a fear that is a reverence that's healthy. I had a good dad, but I held him in in reverence because he could spank me if he wanted to. But I didn't grovel. I didn't live in terror, you know. John in 1 John says perfect love casts out fear. And it's very interesting. It's the perfecting of God's love towards you. And then he uses the, the root word of all casting in the Bible. The, 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 the perfecting of God's love towards you cast out all fear. And he says fear has torment. 
you know, it's as we grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ that that fear goes away. I'll always fear him in the sense that I know he's God and there's a reverence. And I know when we get caught up in the rapture, our minds are going to be blown. We're going to think of all the foolish things we said while we were running around little specks down here for sure. But I'm not tormented by it. This, this is a picture of somebody who says, I know you're unjust. You take whatever you want. You, you reach into other people's you know, benefit and take whatever you want from that. And because I know that's the way you are, I was afraid. So I went and I hid the talent, 20 years wage, in the earth. I buried it. Psst, lo, there thou hast what is thine. He dug it up and gave it to him. It was all dirty and crusty. He said, but yours, you got it. You didn't lose anything. It's yours. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant. Bad combination. Wicked and lazy. Bad combination. Thou wicked and lazy servant, slave. Thou knewest. Now, he's not saying this is true. He's saying this is what you just professed. If you knew that I reap where I sowed not and gathered where I have not been threshing, if you think that's true, according to your own profession, you oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, then at my coming I should have received uh, with my own usury. I should have at least collected interest. You buried it in the ground. You think I'm a mean guy? Why don't you take it and put it in the bank? Could have, well, these days you don't get much interest, do you, on your CDs or anything? He said, why don't you, well, you could have at least put it and got interest on it. And he says, but you've got nothing, and you're telling me I'm unjust. I, I'm a hard man, and you know that? He said, really? Well, if you knew that, then why didn't you at least give me interest when I get back? Take therefore the talent from him that gave it unto, and give it unto the one with ten. Take the twenty-year salary and give it unto the guy with two hundred years. You thought he would give it to the other guy with two, didn't you? With forty years. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he that hath abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away, even that which he he doesn't have. Now, the idea is, here in this picture, the first two served their Lord. He, it, and it's a matter of faithfulness. You know, so to everyone who has faith in their Lord, then to them even more will be given. Anyone who has not, they don't know the Lord. They don't have faith to be faithful with. He says, them, even what they have, will be taken away. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That can never be you and I. We can be chastened of the Lord. A father chastens the son that he loves. But there ain't none of that darkness. For Aren't you glad? You know, if on those three hours on the cross, somehow... He was in eternal darkness. He went to that place. In fact, you know, it's interesting on the cross, the first thing he says is, Father, forgive them, they know what they do. Last thing he says is, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. The middle saying is, my God, my God. And nowhere in the Gospels does he call God, God. It's always Father. Except there, because he was in our place. And he said, my God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? In the, you know, it's, it's as he coming out of the darkness, three hours of darkness. And somehow, there, he died eternally. Somehow, there, something took place that the eternities will still be ministering to our hearts. Because when he came out of that darkness, the next thing he said after, Why, why hast thou forsaken me? He said, It is finished. He wasn't dead physically yet, but he had died eternally. To die, paid in full. He does not have a mortgage on you. He bought you cash, blood. He's going to say to the wicked servant, the one who says he knew him and didn't know him, 
He says, cast them into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, it seems he's done the parables as he comes now. Oh, how are we going to do this in 10 minutes? We're going to do it. It says, now when the Son of Man shall come, he does something interesting here. Uh, Lord, not that the rest hasn't been interesting, but my point is now he seems to switch to a reality and speak about his return. He says, when the, the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. Now, what he's going to talk about here is when he comes and sets up an earthly kingdom. There's three groups involved here. There's sheep, there's goats, and there's brethren. When you study the passage and understand he's talking about it can't be the great white throne because then there's a kingdom to enter into. That doesn't happen the great white throne. There's only goats at the great white throne. There's no sheep and goats. This can't be the, the, the rapture. You know, the post-tribulationists believe that the rapture happens right at the end and then we're caught up to meet the Lord and we come down with him. Well, if that was true, the sheep would go up and we come down. There'd be no sheep and goats to separate when we got down there. This is a picture of what happens at the end of the age. The church is in heaven through the rapture. Many have been saved through the tribulation. We're studying on, on Sunday, the book of Revelation. And when Christ comes to set up his kingdom, you know, then he judges the nations. And then there's an entering into the kingdom. So he he says that here. He says, and before him, when he sits on the throne of his glory, listen, before him shall be gathered all nations. It's the word Gentiles, but it's neuter here. Some translated nations. And he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats will be on his left hand. Take note of this, verse 34. Then shall the king say unto them. Now, that's the only place in Matthew where he calls himself the king, and he does it twice here, first and last time calls himself the king. He says, when the Son of Man shall come, at verse 31, then that Lord will sit on the throne of glory. Then here he says in 34, then shall the king say unto them, on his right hand, come ye blessed of my father. So it's the Son, blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So he's answering beyond what they asked him in the first few verses in 24, not just about his coming, but that coming then inaugurating a kingdom. For I was hungry and you gave me to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. I was a foreigner, a stranger, you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then shall the righteous answer, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungry or thirsty and give you to drink? When did we see you as a foreigner and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when saw we thee sick and in prison and came to thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily, I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it to one of the least of these, very important, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Because look, what he's talking about here now, interesting, and you can have your own opinions and my opinion here, is during the tribulation period. You have the 144,000, you have the two prophets outside of Jerusalem, you have a multiple of people that are saved and you have a multitude of unbelievers that hate the Jews. They hate the 144,000. There is a wholesale global persecution of Jewish people. Zechariah says two out of every three are going to be slain. And you know, just like Corey Tenboon taking the Jews into her house 
in Holland to preserve them and hiding them, says here, great reward. You've done it unto the least of these, my brethren. When you did that, you were doing it unto me. So you have sheep, goats. The sheep are the saved ones. The goats are the lost ones. The brethren are the Jews, no doubt. You know, it's very interesting. How many of you guys been to Israel with us? Okay. When you go to Israel and you go to the Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum, there's the avenue of the faithful there. And they've, they've planted trees for those who have been faithful and helped the Jews. They planted one there for Schindler. Even afterwards, they knew he had some moral problems and stuff. They still planted a tree. And they, they planted one there for Cory Ten Boone. And when you go down there, all the trees are the same height, except, and they have full-time gardeners there. Cory Ten Boone's tree is like this big, and all the rest of them are six, eight foot tall. And you ask, I understand, the rest of them grew. They said, Cory Ten Boone's tree was full size. And on the day that Cory Ten Boone died, the gardeners came in and her tree was withered away. It had been fine the day before. Her tree was withered away and they had to plant a new tree. God takes note. You know, he said, I will bless them that bless thee. I will curse them that curse thee. He talked to us about the world, about the way we treat the Jews. Anti-Semitism is satanic to the core. But man, think of what we're seeing around us again, you know. He said, the king says unto them, inasmuch as you've done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. And then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. You know, there are going to be those armies that follow the Antichrist. There are going to be those who are gracious to the Jews that survive. They're going to go into the millennium along with 144,000, repopulate the earth and so forth. Uh, he, he says here, For I was hungry, and you didn't give me anything to eat. I was thirsty, you didn't give me anything to drink. I was a stranger, a foreigner, without a place to live. You didn't take me in. I was naked, and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungry, or thirst, or a foreigner, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you did it not to one of thee, the least of these, you did it not unto me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. And look, through this process, now the, the, the Olivet Discourse ends here. Nobody goes to heaven because they take care of poor people. Or, you know, certainly, the, those are the fruits of genuine faith. We should care for others. You know, like James says, hey, you say you're a believer? Then let me see your works. Faith without works is dead. Because James, you know, he uses the phrase 19 times in his letter, brothers, brethren. Just think of who his older brother was. And he watched his older brother debate with the Pharisees, go back and forth with phony religious people, you know. And, and so James says, yeah, okay, you say you're religious? He grew up with the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then let me see the fruit of that. Let me see the goodness in your life. What are you doing? It's about your personal life. It's not about the organization you belong to. And here at the end of this, the Lord said, there was no fruit. There was no evidence of genuine faith. The righteous are going to go into the kingdom of the Father. We're righteous by our faith in Jesus Christ, not by our performance. But what should follow us as the church and as God's people is a kindness, is, is helping somebody who's hungry, as it were, or thirsty, or less fortunate, or our brothers and sisters taking a meal to their house when somebody had a baby, or they're in the hospital, or writing a letter, or showing that, that doesn't get us into heaven. But it sure does demonstrate there's been a change in our lives. Jesus said, all men would know you're my disciples by the love that you have one for another. And, you know, coming through the last revival, 
1969 through 1972. I'm telling you, one of the hallmarks of that was the love. It was almost unbearable. The love was incredible. And the evangelism was centered in the return of Christ. Everybody that preached the gospel talked about the Lord returning. There was this incredible sense when the Holy Spirit was poured out, as there has always been, that the Lord is coming. There was an incredible sense, people that were filled with the Spirit looking at one another, realizing, this is my brother. This is my sister. This is somebody I'm going to spend eternity with. The lost are out there. we got to get to them. But this is our family. Incredible sense, you know. So we're not ever saved by performance. But our faith performs. Our trust in Christ overflows. The love of Christ is shed abroad from our hearts, right? So read ahead. Read ahead, right? Chapter 26. The, the emphasis here is... Take notice of the season that we're living in. We're not like those in those days who, who didn't know what was going on. We don't want this thing to overtake us like the good men of the house. If you didn't know what hour that was going to happen, he'd have been watching. We don't want to be like the wicked servant, the steward, who's eating and drinking because he's putting a delay on his mind. My Lord delayeth is coming. We want to be like the, the virgins, and we want to be ready. We want to be prepared. We want to anticipate so that when the bridegroom comes, we're ready. Anybody there with me? You want to be ready when the bride? Two people up there. Okay. Back with the rest of you guys. But you want to be ready when the bridegroom comes. He's a bridegroom. Every bride, every groom, you do a wedding here, they just, they just stars in their eyes. You know, I make them say, I make them lie to each other. Richer and poorer, better and worse, you know, death to us part, and they have no idea what they're talking about. And then life starts to define all that. Then you give them the video, and they go, "Oh, we did say that, didn't we?" You just, you know, you know. But there's, but, but push all that aside, and there's this whole thing. There's bridesmaids. They're getting, you know, most of the time by the wedding come. By the time the wedding comes, they wish they had eloped because everybody's parents and relatives are driving them out of their minds. It's not their wedding anymore. It's, it's the relative's wedding. But you know, there's just something about that bride and groom, and there's something about the Lord's presence that day when there's a wedding. There's something about his presence when that wedding honors him because he's thinking of you and I. He sees his church in that wedding. And his pleasure is there. You can sense his Holy Spirit. He says, be ready. I'm coming. Be ready. And be faithful over the things that I've given you. Not, it's not measured the way people measure things. You may be faithful over something this big. And more faithful over that than somebody I've given this much to. And those eternal rewards are going to be relative to faithfulness, not results. Faithfulness. And I'm coming. The king is coming. The king is coming. He's going to set up his throne. He's going to, you know, we're going to come with him. Revelation 19 will be coming with him. And when he comes down, he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. The believers that are still left are to believe many will survive that time. And the goats and, and, you know, those that are believers that have been gracious to the Jews, that have come to faith and enter into the kingdom prepared from the foundation of the world. Enter in to the joy of your Lord. You know, how remarkable. Let's stand. Let's pray together. We'll sing a last song. Father, we thank you for these things. We look to you, Lord. Give us our portion, Lord. You know each of us. Lord, we, we feel your heart over all of this, Lord. Just your disciples ask you out of curiosity. They, they want to know about the last days, Lord. They want to know as it come. And your heart overflowed with the fact that you long for that more than we do. That all you ask is that we would be ready, that we would be waiting, that we would watch, that we would be sober and vigilant, Lord. We don't want to be like those who are not expecting when our master has gone to a far country, has been away. 
a long time. It seems like you've tarried, Lord. But the more we see the world around us, Lord, the, the more in our hearts we long for the things of your kingdom, Lord, to step to the other side of this where there's no sorrow and no pain, no sin, no evil. Lord, as we're here, would you fill us with your spirit that we might bring as many along as possible, Lord. Help us to be faithful with the things you've given us, Lord. We trust you, Lord Jesus. We look to you and we pray in your name. Amen.